Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. This was the text that I covered last week in detail. I'd just like to use it for an opening text today. Reading from the HCSB, it says, If a man marries a woman, but she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something improper about her, he may write her a divorce certificate, hand it to her, and send her away from his house. If after leaving his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the second man hates her, writes her a divorce certificate, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house, or if he dies, the first husband who sent her away may not marry her again after she has been defiled, because that would be detestable to Yahweh. You must not bring guilt on the land Yahweh your Elohim, or Mighty One, is giving you as an inheritance. Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Last week I talked about the concept of divorce in the law of Moses, the law that Yahweh gave through the agency of His prophet Moses. And we saw that Yahweh instituted divorce, or He instituted a divorce law in cases where a wife found no favor in her husband's eyes because he found something disgraceful, CEV, or because he began to dislike her, NIV, chapter 24, verse 3. Yeshua told the Pharisees in Matthew 19 that Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, specifically talking about the hardness of the husband's hearts, Moses allowed this. According to Mark chapter 10, the parallel account to Matthew 19, Moses gave the husbands this commandment, this precept. This lets us know that the divorce law was given to protect innocent women who found themselves in a marriage where a man did not love them anymore. This is not to say that women can't have hard hearts too. Hardness of the heart is a general concept in Scripture. It's a figure of speech that speaks of the human's fight against the law of Yahweh. Ezekiel 36 talks about the heart of stone. Romans chapter 2 talks about the hardness of the heart. Uh, Mark chapter 16, although the text there is questionable, it actually equates hardness of heart with unbelief. So it's a general concept whereby us humans, we fight the law of Yahweh. We desire to do things contrary to the law of Yahweh in our flesh. So both men and women can have hard hearts, but the law in Deuteronomy 24 was specifically given at that time to protect innocent women. Moses commanded the men of Israel who refused to love and care for their wives, give her a certificate of divorce so that she can be another man's wife. Men who divorced their wives in this way were not acting righteously as a husband. Because a husband is required by the Torah to love and care for his wife. Yet sometimes that just does not happen. And Yahweh put a remedy in His law for that, being the wise, mighty one that He is. And that is called the law of the certificate or the bill of divorcement. In the case of Deuteronomy 24, the husband was at fault. In the case elsewise, other times the wife could be at fault. I have known people who have loved their spouse even when their spouse was living in sin. And I've known people who stayed with that spouse and tried to work things out. And praise Yahweh, sometimes mercy leads to repentance. 
and restoration. But I would be naive to think that it always did. Sometimes sin in a marriage ends up in divorce, and while it is tragic, it is something that Yahweh allows within the confines of His law. But some people object to this. Some people would object. Some people have objected (laughs) since my last message in Deuteronomy 24. Not necessarily, I believe, have objected with law, but have objected with maybe tradition and emotion. Nevertheless, some people object to this. They believe there is no scriptural allowance for divorce. And other people, other Christians believe or think that only sexual immorality gives one an allowance to divorce a spouse. Some people go so far as to teach that if a believer has been divorced and is remarried and they were divorced for something less than sexual immorality, that their remarriage is not a marriage at all. That it's actually a person, specifically a woman or a man, some say, that is living in adultery because they did not have what they call biblical grounds for divorce. I disagree with that position. I disagree with that based upon the law of Yahweh through Moses. I believe that the law of Moses stands firm and that nothing can change that law. But how do I answer people who object to my view on divorce and remarriage when they object from the Bible? Well, some people object by saying that marriage is a vow. A vow that one party makes to honor and cherish, to have and to hold for better or worse in sickness and health as long as you both shall live. I've done a few weddings as a minister and those are usually words that are said and then repeated by the groom and by the bride at the wedding. And I do believe that is how marriage should be for life. But the reality is that marriages do not always turn out that way. The problem we have here though is this. We view marriage as a vow because of our modern culture. Anciently, Hebraically, marriage was not seen as a vow. Marriage was seen as a covenant slash contract between two individuals, male and female. And covenants and contracts should not be broken, but sometimes one party breaks their end of the contract. And when that happens, the other party is not obligated to continue in relationship with the first party. Now, a good friend of mine, Pastor John Carroll, I can't wait to share this with John that I mentioned him by name in this lesson. He is a Pentecostal preacher. He is one of my best friends, especially when it comes to talking Scripture. He helped me out in this point of understanding. Pastor John Carroll wrote a book titled Divorce and Remarriage in which he challenged a long-standing view in many of the churches that he grew up in and even preached in as an evangelist. Now That takes a lot of courage. And most importantly, it takes a desire for the truth of Scripture to do something like that. And I appreciate John's dedication to Scripture. And every time I text with him or talk to him, I always end by saying, John, you are my favorite Pentecostal. In John's book, he has a section where he answers objections to his view of divorce and remarriage. And John takes pretty much the same view that I do on this subject. He believes that marriage should be one time and for life. 
He believes marriage is sacred. He believes marriage should never be entered into lightly. But he believes the other parts of Scripture too. He realizes that people sometimes have hard hearts. And he recognizes the portions of Scripture that allow for divorce. Now, in the answering objections section of John's book, he talks about the common modern Christian concept of marriage as a vow. He begins that section with this sentence, quote, Marriage is never called a vow in Scripture. It is a covenant. Malachi 2 verse 14, end of quote. His point here is that a scriptural marriage is a covenantal contract between two parties. The contract should not be broken, but the contract can be broken. Once the contract is broken by one party, the innocent party has the choice whether or not to stay and work out the problem or leave since the other party has broken the terms of the covenant. Now it is sad that a covenant as serious as marriage ever suffers that much damage. But we must remember that marriage always occurs between two human beings and that means between two sinful people. Even if the two people are saints born from above, we all still struggle with sin. Sometimes our struggles aren't too big and we overcome them through trial and error. And we make a dedication in our life to Yahweh and to our spouse to do better when we learn better. With any marriage, there must be a lot of love and a lot of forgiveness. In a marriage, we learn how to love an imperfect person in the same way that Yahweh loves us as imperfect people. Sometimes, though, the struggle is big. Sometimes the struggle is unrepentant. Sometimes a person that once was in love falls out of love. Should that happen? No. Does it happen? Yes. When one person decides they are through with keeping their end of the covenantal contract, what does the other person do? Well, the other person doesn't have to leave. They can try to keep the marriage together, and that is noble, and that is spiritual. But I do not believe that they are obligated to keep the marriage together with someone who no longer wants to love them because the covenantal contract was broken. Some people think nothing can break the contract of marriage. Deuteronomy 24 disproves that. In a perfect world, that would be nice. It would also be nice if nobody ever got sick. It would be nice if there was no death. It would be nice if we didn't have to have a justice system to punish criminals. All of that would be nice in a perfect world. But we have all of this because we do not live in a perfect world. We live in a fallen world. A world that is affected by sin. So Yahweh gives us His instructions, His law manual, His teachings and His guidance for our life. Some practices that people do, Yahweh outright condemns. Other practices might not be best for us, but because of situations that arise in a fallen world, they are allowed in order to protect innocent people. Someone might remark here though, but Brother Matthew, don't you know that Scripture says divorce was not so from the beginning? Well, yes, I know that. That was my second message in this series that I titled The Permanency of Marriage. So that is true. Divorce was not so from the beginning. Yeshua the Messiah is actually the one that stated that in Matthew 19. He said, from the beginning, 
it was not so. Moses allowed this or commanded it due to the hardness of your hearts, but it wasn't so from Genesis. Yahweh created man and woman to live in harmony, in unity, together till death do they part. Divorce was never something that should take place. But those other things that I mentioned moments ago were not so from the beginning either. Sickness was not so from the beginning. Death was not so from the beginning. Punishment for crime was not so from the beginning. Just because something was not so from the beginning in the Garden of Eden doesn't mean there is no room for something now in a fallen world. Think about this. At the time that the law in Deuteronomy 24 was given, couldn't someone have balked at Moses then and said, but Moses, this was not so from the beginning Deuteronomy took place a long time after Genesis 1 and 2, so someone could have objected to the law given in Deuteronomy at the time Moses gave that precept to the nation of Israel, but their objection to Moses at that time would have been just as unfounded as the objection is now. Because Yahweh was giving a law meant to govern people in a fallen world, not in a perfect world. Divorce was not so from the beginning and should never never be one's first resort in a marriage. We should be pro-marriage, but at the same time, we should permit divorce when something goes sour and when someone needs saved or helped. Other people object to any reason for divorce or a few reasons for divorce by quoting Matthew 19 where Yeshua said, "...what God has joined together, let not man separate." Yes, that is again what Yeshua said. And I believe that it's a commandment. I usually say that. Matter of fact, I think at every marriage that I have officiated, I've said that verse. What Yahweh has joined together, let not man separate or let no man put asunder. The old King James says that. When a man and woman join together in accordance with the law of Yahweh... In love and holy matrimony, neither the man or the woman should ever seek to separate that joining that Yahweh is doing. They're forming a new family unit. The woman is becoming the bone and the flesh of the man. But let not man separate does not mean man does not have the ability to separate. Separation of marriage sometimes occurs when one person or both persons are bent on sin and they have no repentance in their heart. Somebody wants out of the marriage that they one time covenanted in. Let not man separate, and that goes for man as mankind or humanity, meaning both male and female. Let not people separate should be seen as a commandment for the persons being scripturally married. But it should not be seen as an impossibility of divorce taking place. What if the husband stops providing for the wife? Anciently, Hebraically, the husband's job was to be the provider. That did not mean that the wife could not provide at all for the household. You read Proverbs 31 and it talks about the wife providing for the household too. But in the Hebrew culture, the husband was the primary provider of food, clothing, housing for the wife. Well, what if the husband stops that? What if he just quits working, is rarely home, spends what money he has on himself, and is never intimate with his wife? 
Exodus 21 verse 10 teaches that if a husband does not provide his wife with food, clothing, housing, and intimacy, she is free to go. A good woman is not required to stay with a man like that. What if the wife stops taking care of the husband? In Hebrew culture, while the man did the providing, the man brought home what was to be cooked. The woman would cook it for the man. The man would bring home the materials for the clothes. The woman would sew it for her and her household. Proverbs 31 talks about this. Well, What if the wife stopped that? What if she'd been a good wife for about 10 years and then finally she thought, you know what, I don't want to be in this marriage. The husband's not done anything to me, but I'm tired of being married to him. The husband works all day to provide, but he gets home and his wife is not to be found. She stops using the husband's provisions for the betterment of the household. Or what if the wife refuses to be intimate with the husband? A good man is not required to stay with a woman like that. I hate... I hate, listen, I hate that these things happen. Brother John, Pastor John, my friend, has been through a divorce. And he will tell you that he hates divorce. He will tell you that no person that has not been divorced could never hate divorce as much as someone who has been through it. He hates it. But I hate it. Even though I've never been through it, I hate it because of what I have seen take place. I would love it if all marriages were until one of the people died. But that's just not how it works out all the time. Yeshua did not say what God has joined together no person can separate. He said let not mankind separate. It's a commandment. Not an inability, but a commandment. Marriage is able to be destroyed. It should not be destroyed. Marriage should not be destroyed, but it is able to be destroyed by a sinful human being who refuses to do their part as a husband or as a wife. Another view and the last objection that I'll cover in this lesson. Another view that I hear from Christians who are against any and all divorce because some people believe that there is never a reason for divorce if you're a Christian. That was very prevalent in Pastor John's realm of Christianity in his churches. That's what he wrote his book primarily against. The no cause view. Well this view a lot of times I hear them say that Jesus Yeshua overturned the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 24. They say well yes Matthew we know that the law allowed for divorce. Deuteronomy 24 Exodus 21 But Yeshua made a new stricter law in Matthew chapter 5. And this is probably the worst of all the objections that I hear because it pits prophet Yeshua of Nazareth, it pits him against prophet Moshe. These two prophets are not at battle with each other. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 3, the apostle Peter preaching to Israelites at that time told them that Yeshua of Nazareth was the prophet like Moses that Yahweh raised up among the brethren, according to Deuteronomy 18. You can read about it in Acts chapter 3. So they're not at battle with each other. They're on the same team. Bad theology and shallow Bible study has led people to think that Yeshua taught something different than Moses. Now I began this series in Matthew 5, 31-32. 
in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll be going back to that text in my next lesson. And I will reveal my understanding and what I believe to be the true intent of Yeshua's words in Matthew 5 verse 32. But hopefully anybody who hears this lesson today will either remember or go back and listen to the lessons that I taught in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Because Matthew 5, 17 through 20 is the backdrop of the rest of the fifth chapter of Matthew. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 is the Shema of the Gospels. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, the most important commandment in the law. The Shema of the Gospels is Matthew 5, 17 through 20, where Yeshua begins by saying, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. And if you say that Yeshua overturned Deuteronomy 24's law of divorce, you are saying that Yeshua came to destroy the law and the prophets. The law because Yahweh gave that law. The prophets because it came through the agency of Moses, the prophet of Yahweh. Now many people clap back and they say, well, He didn't destroy the law, but He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it. Don't you see that? He fulfilled it. And I get so weary of listening to people talk about the word fulfill when they don't know what it means. If someone thinks that Yeshua fulfilled the law and thereby brought it to an end, that's destroying the law. The exact thing He said He didn't come to do. In Matthew 5, Yeshua is not contrasting His new teaching with Moses' old teaching. He is contrasting His interpretation of the law of Moses with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law of Moses. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors as how the scribes and Pharisees had been destroying the Torah. And it was because they were misusing and abusing the law or either falling short of the law's full intention for us in our lives. And when Yeshua says, but I say unto you, that is how Yeshua fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the Torah. He established it. He confirmed it. He did it. He taught us to obey the law. Yeshua is not telling the people to forsake what Moses taught. He's telling them that the Pharisees had misused and abused the teachings of Moses due to their traditional thinking and their lawyer mentality. Lawyers are real good at twisting things up. And the Pharisees were the lawyers of the Gospels. Immediately after Yeshua taught the Sermon on the Mount, you know what He did in Matthew chapter 8? It says He came down off the mountain and He met this person that was a leper. And the leper came to Him in humility, kneeling before Him, honoring Him as the King that He was. And He said, Master, Lord, I know that You can make me clean if You're willing. And Yeshua reached out His hand and said, I am willing. Be clean. And the leper was cleansed. And you would think that if Yeshua, the very Son of Almighty Yahweh, healed a leper, that that leper was cleansed better than any other leper that had been cleansed naturally. So you would think, well, He's clean. There's nothing else for Him to do. But Yeshua didn't stop by healing Him. He told Him, He first said, don't tell anybody about this. But, go and show yourself to the priest. What priest? The Levite priest. The priest at the temple. And then he said, and offer the gift or the sacrifice that Moses commanded in the law. Now we would think that maybe that was superfluous. Maybe that didn't need to be done. 
But no, Yeshua came to fulfill the law, meaning to establish and confirm it. He never taught anybody to go against Moses' teachings, even when it came to what is called the ceremonial law. In John 5, 46-47, Yeshua said to a group of Jewish leaders, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Yeshua told the men there that day that the reason they did not believe Him was because they really didn't believe prophet Moses. In John 7 verse 19, Yeshua tells some people, didn't Moses give you the law? And yet none of you keeps the law? There again, He's uplifting Moses as the one through whom the law was given. I preached a sermon not long ago that I titled, We Need More Moses. Got a little kickback from that sermon. That's okay. Yeah, If you're worried about offending people, you don't need to be a preacher. At the same time, if you love to offend people, you don't need to be a preacher either. <laughs> uh, y'all think about that when you... It goes both ways. Well, I posted a paragraph of notes from that sermon on Facebook and I had someone who never comments on anything that I post jump on there and start condemning me for uplifting Moses. I thought that was quite strange because Scripture uplifts Moses. Yahweh uplifts Moses. He even said some words that were a bit derogatory towards Prophet Moses. I told him that he needs to be careful because one time there was a sister in Israel that spoke evil of Moses and Yahweh struck her with leprosy. You say, Brother Matthew, do you think Yahweh could strike somebody with leprosy for speaking evil of one of His prophets? Absolutely. Never speak evil of one of Yahweh's true prophets. Never speak derogatorily. I'm not saying Moses was sinless. I only believe there was one person that was sinless. That was the son of Yahweh. But I do believe that Moses sinned less than most people. Moses was a righteous man. When the apostles saw the vision of the kingdom on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Yeshua's garment was glistening, one of the men who they saw in that vision beside Yeshua, you know who he was? Prophet Moshe, that represented the law, and then Eliyahu, that represented the prophets. You think those two men were righteous men, Moshe and Eliyahu? Absolutely. Two of the only men in the Bible that ever fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Moshe fasted for 80 days and 80 nights. Not just refraining from food, but also refraining from water. He was with Yahweh. He saw the hinder parts of Yahweh. He was so close with Yahweh and he saw Yahweh in, a, in such an intimate way, in such a close way, that when he came down off the mountain, Moshe had to put a veil over his face because his face shone with the glory of Yahweh so brightly. You think that man's pretty important? Absolutely he's important. You don't talk against Prophet Moshe. We need more Moses because far too many Christians have inherited the lie that what Moses said doesn't matter anymore. Far too many Christians have in their mind that it's okay to come up with a New Testament interpretation that violates the law of Moses. And worse than that, had Yeshua spoken against the law that Yahweh gave through Moses, Yeshua would not qualify to be the Lamb of Yahweh that takes away the sin of the world. 1 John 3 verse 4 tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. And if Yeshua taught the people of Israel to go against the law, He would be teaching that it was okay to sin, to transgress the law. 
How much sense does that make for the very Lamb of Yahweh, flawless, unblemished, sinless Lamb to teach, we don't need Moses anymore, I've came to give you a new law. No, that's not what Yeshua came. He didn't come to be innovative. He came to go back to restore the breach, to repair the path, and to go back to the full intention of Yahweh's law. He didn't come to start a new religion. He didn't come to blaze a brand new path. He came to cut back the weeds off of the path that had been grown over because of tradition and because of emotion and, and, and people getting in the way of Yahweh. That's what Yeshua did. Get us back to how it was supposed to be. Not give you something brand, brand new. And Yeshua in Matthew chapter 5 wasn't even standing in the new covenant. He was standing in the old covenant. Now, I don't think the new covenant changes anything about the law of divorce, but Yeshua was not in the new covenant when He preached the Sermon on the Mount. He was still in the old covenant. doesn't make any sense for Him to teach against the law of divorce. In Deuteronomy 24, He'd be a sinner. Deuteronomy 13, 1-5 tells us that any prophet that comes speaking in the name of Yahweh, even showing great signs and wonders, if they teach you to go against the law, Yahweh is testing you to see if you're going to follow that prophet or you're going to follow His law. So the people of Israel would have been right to reject Yeshua as the Messiah had He taught against the law of Moses. But He didn't. And a lot of even rabbis today are recognizing that. There's a book by Rabbi Shmuley Boteach called The Kosher Jesus where he even recognizes that Yeshua in the Sermon on the Mount lined up right with Prophet Moshe. And everything that he taught, you can find in either the Torah or the Tanakh, in the Older Testament. People are waking up to that reality. Good scholarship, detailed scholarship, is waking up to that reality more and more day by day. Brothers and sisters, as I close, what Yeshua says in Matthew 5.32, but I say unto you, when He's talking about sending away a wife, that cannot contradict the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. And I present to you today that it does not. It rather challenges something the scribes and the Pharisees were abusing in the law. Just like with murder. Remember when the scribes and Pharisees would quote, do not murder, but they would hate their brother in their heart without cause? They would spit out things without cause? And he was telling them, look, you've got the murder in your heart. Remember when the scribes and Pharisees would say, do not commit adultery? But yet they would look on their neighbor's wife with lust. And they would be committing adultery in their heart. And Yeshua said, you're not coming to the full intention? Well, they did the same thing with the law of divorce. The law of divorce is very specific. I'll talk about it next week. And if a husband did not carry out the proper steps of the law of divorce, he wasn't going to the full intention of the law. And that's what Yeshua is getting on to them about in Matthew 5.32. They were quoting the law, but they were not abiding by the complete intention of the law. They were not protecting the woman for her future life, for her future relationship. I believe that the reason people think that Yeshua contradicts Moses is because they begin their Bible study thinking that it's okay if Yeshua contradicts Moses. They start with that. And I'm telling you today, it's not okay. It's not. I'm telling you that they're on the same team. They bat for the same team. 
Yahweh's team. Not team Moses versus team Yeshua. <laughs> They're both on Yahweh's team. And I'm telling you that they taught the same law. When Yeshua said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. It wasn't that He had a different set of commandments than His Father's. No more when the Bible says, Obey the law of Moses. Does it mean that Moses has a different set of commandments than Yahweh? They're both on Yahweh's team. In my next lesson, I'm going to prove that to you from the Scriptures. I'm going to show you what the Pharisees were doing wrong to their wives. How they were dealing treacherously with their wives. How even the old men of Israel sometimes were dealing treacherously with their wives. And how that Yeshua addressed and corrected their wrong in His teachings. Let me say this. This is my second closing. I heard an old preacher say one time, we get three closings if we're preachers. The Apostle Paul in one of his epistles said, Finally, my brethren, and he went on to write two more chapters, I think. <laughs> Let me say this in closing. And you don't have to believe me because I'm your pastor. You should respect my studies as a pastor. But you don't have to believe me. You can go back to Yahweh's Word. If you have been through a divorce and you were the innocent party in the divorce, in other words, if you're not the one that caused the divorce to happen and the person left you because of sin in their life, then you are free to be remarried to another. Let me also say this. If you've been through a divorce and you were the one that caused the divorce, you can be free to remarry if, if there is repentance. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin. But people should not live their lives and go on about their lives, especially as believers, if there is some kind of unrepentance in their heart. Now, I know everybody in here pretty well, but I don't know whoever might listen to this sermon at a later time. And I want to stress to whoever listens to the sermon now or later that if you are the one that caused the divorce because of your sin, even if there's no making amends now, it could be 10, 15 years ago, if there's no making amends now, if you were the cause because of your sin, Yahweh would have you to repent to Him and to that person if you have not done so. But divorce is not the unpardonable sin. It's tragic. I've seen the tragic results of it. Even though sometimes I believe even Yahweh knows it has to happen because it's what's best in a situation that arises. But it's not the unpardonable sin. So these lessons are meant not to focus on just marriage or just divorce or just remarriage. These lessons are meant first and foremost to focus on marriage. Any couple in here that is married today, Yahweh's perfect will is that you stay married until one of you die. 
That's what Yahweh's perfect will is. And so I started off with that. But at the same time, I think that there are people in churches that have an unneeded weight on their shoulders because of something that may have happened in their past that they cannot go back and change now. And how many know that there's a lot of things that have happened in our past that we can't go back and change? There are sins I've committed that I wished I could go back and change. But I can't. There are some days that I don't believe that Yahweh has forgiven me. So you, Brother Matthew, a pastor? Yeah. There's some days I struggle with that. But then I quote verses like Psalm 103 that help me to believe that Yahweh's forgiven me for my sins. Because I've repented. But I just want to encourage both marriage. I don't want people to only selectively hear one or the other. I want to encourage marriage, but I want to take a burden off of people's shoulders who have been through a divorce whether they were the guilty or the innocent party and have moved on with their life and now they serve Yahweh and they wish that it wouldn't have happened in the first place, right? I want to take that burden off and say, look, Yahweh loves you. He forgives you for whatever you may have done in the past if you have repented or whatever you may have done in the past and you can carry on with your life. The overarching teaching of Scripture is that Yahweh doesn't take any pleasure in a person that dies in an unrepentant state, but He would rather that they repent and live. Ezekiel 18. Yahweh is very merciful when we repent of our sins. I love everybody here. And I hope that you understand what I'm saying. Because it's coming from the big, deep down bottom of my heart. Everything I can muster up in these lessons. Yahweh Father, thank You for this time that we've had of teaching. Yahweh, I love You so much. Father Yahweh, I pray that You would strengthen the heart of every husband in here. Let all of our hearts be pliable. I pray, Yahweh, that as husbands... We would let go of the reins and let You mold and shape our heart and our mind to how You would have us to act. May we search the Scriptures for what You tell us to do. And Father, I pray the same thing for the wives. Father, that their hearts would be moldable and shapeable. That each day that they await, they would search the Scriptures for what You would have them to do. Father, I pray You would release any guilt and burden off of people that have been divorced in their past life. And maybe they felt shamed all the way up until now. Maybe they feel sometimes like You didn't forgive them for something that happened in the past. I know that that feels horrible. And Yahweh, I pray You would release that burden off of people right now. Thank You for my friend, Brother John Carroll. I pray, Yahweh, that You would just cause the marriage that he's in now to just flourish. Let him love his wife and let her submit to him and let him just raise that family and 
holiness and righteousness. I pray that His book would go far and wide and it would help many people. I pray that these lessons would go far and wide and help many people. Forgive us, Yahweh, for our sins. But Yahweh, help us to believe that when we repent, that we're forgiven. I know sometimes, Yahweh, we have to face consequences of our sins, and that's fine. You're a loving Father. And you discipline those that you love. But even when we go through consequences for sin, if we have repented, let us not think that it means that you have not forgiven us. Yahweh, I pray You would attach Your Spirit to these words in this lesson today. I don't want to be the preacher that's known for divorce. (laughs) I want to be the man that's known for marriage. At the same time, I do want to be the preacher that is known for the whole council. That doesn't neglect anything in Scripture. Lead me and guide me as I study for the last lesson next time I teach. And Yahweh, thank you so much for another opportunity. Hallelujah, Yahweh.